So, we looked at several things this week, and I want to talk to you about a couple of things that jumped out to me in the reading. Uh, one of the things I saw in both the Old Testament reading and the New Testament reading had to do with offerings. Now, in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of offerings, and there's an entire book that talks about how animals are to be sacrificed and what kind of bread and oil you mix together for what holiday, and on and on it goes. But if you take all the offerings in the Bible, you can put them under two categories, free will and prescribed. And then under that would be different kinds. Even like, for example, the free will offerings, some free will offerings are totally free will. You can give or not give, it's entirely up to you. And we'll read about one of those in a minute. But some of the free will offerings, you had to give something, but the amount, the generosity was up to you. So in either one, the amount was up to you, but some you had to give, others you didn't have to give. So there were certain free will offerings that were voluntary, certain that were mandatory. And then under the prescribed offerings, there were different types of offerings there as well. One of the offerings we read about this morning was a free will offering. It's in Exodus, and the other one was in Luke. Here's the one from Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. So this was a complete free will offering. They were about ready to build their first tabernacle in the wilderness. It was a, a, a mobile church, for lack of better terminology. They were living on the run. They weren't settled down yet. So they had a house of worship, and they needed to build it. So Moses said, hey, whoever wants to contribute towards it, here's what we need. And the stuff came pouring in. In thinking about these offerings, uh, especially the free will offerings, I found three principles that I think are consistent throughout the Bible on free will offerings. The first one is the amount, the generosity, it's up to the giver. That's the first principle on free will offerings. The second principle was God promised to give to the person who gave. That's the second principle. The third principle is generosity is a matter of heart, not a matter of amount. So those three things we'll look at in a little more detail. The first one's pretty obvious. That's why it's called a free will offering. You know, the first one is the amount of generosity was up to the giver. That's why it's called a free will offering. Not much more to say about that. The second principle, God gives to the giver. There's this interesting thing in the Bible. Um, when God told the ancient Israelites to give, he promised to give to them back. So the idea was, I don't know, let's say you have 10 you give two away, God gives you back three. The idea is, not the number, but the more you give, the more you get. So giving away from God's perspective ends up in an increase, not a diminishing. It's, a, it's God math, you know? You've got three, you take away two, how many do you have left? Five. God math. Jesus did God math. Somebody came up to him and said, everybody's hungry, got two fish, a few loaves of bread. God math. Fed over 5,000 people, took up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. God math. And so this principle, God gives to the giver, very biblical. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns would be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That was a promise God made to ancient Israel. You honor God and he'll give it back. And then Proverbs 19, 17 says, when you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord, and the Lord will give you back. Whoa, wait a minute. 
If God came up to you and said, can I borrow five? Would you ask for it back? No. You'd say, God, everything I have is yours. Take what you want. So this says, if you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord, and God promises to pay you back. Well, he's just that way. He's willing to pay you back for lending to somebody, giving to somebody else. He'll take it like a personal loan, which just blows my mind. I, I don't want you to give it back, God. I'm giving it to you. So here's the thing. Next time you consider giving money to the poor, don't consider it as giving money to the poor. Consider it as a loan to God, as something you're giving to God. And then let God worry about it from that point forward. So I've got a true story I want to share with you about giving and honoring God with our income and God paying back. God math. True story. Let's take a look. were flashing that we needed to get it looked at and uh, we took it into the dealership and they called me that day and they said that uh, two parts were bad on the car which my car has got like 70,000 miles on it and uh, this part shouldn't be going bad but it was the main cylinder it's leaking into a brake booster or whatnot and so it was it was a major problem and it was gonna cost a lot of money to fix it and so we have you know a vacation coming up of course and and so we were thinking Oh my goodness, you know, where's this money going to come from? We didn't know what to do. And um, so, you know, the whole week I was kind of down and out about it. Um, came to church Wednesday and upset about it Wednesday and then got home and, you know, just, just constantly on my mind, where are we going to get the money? How are we going to pay for this? You know, this is not the perfect timing. Kids going back to school, have to buy school clothes, supplies, um, you know, pay for lunches and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, after that, we just, um, Sunday, we came to church and was just really discouraged. And, you know, when Tithe came around, you know, we just were like, I, I was, I, I didn't want to pay it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to even give my Tithe just because, you know, I was like, we give the Tithe, we could use this for the car, you know. And so I didn't really want to give my Tithe. And so I looked at my husband and I was like, what are we doing? You know, did we give the Tithe or not? And he just kind of looked at me and was like, where's your faith? And I was like, <laughs> you know, so he backed me up. And so I was like, okay, you know, we need to, we need to, to give God our 10%. So we gave our tithe and then, um, just, you know, Sunday night I was like, okay, God, you know, I gave it, you know, you're going to do something with this. So it was funny because Monday morning the dealership called me and she said, um, we, we understand what you're going through. Cause I explained to her, I don't have the money to pay for it right now. Don't order the part cause I can't pay for it. So she called me, said, we understand what you're going through. I talked to my manager, and uh, he's going to pay for both parts. And, um, and <laughs> he's going to pay for both parts of the car, and all we have to pay for is labor. I just want to encourage you guys, give your 10%. It's not done in vain. You give that 10%, and he will give you a hundredfold. He will, he will definitely bless you. So I just encourage you guys, give that 10%. Well, the, the reason I wanted to show you that video was to talk to you about God math. You know, you give and God gives even more back. It, it wasn't intended to talk about tithing, but she did talk about tithing. And you really can't give a lesson about offerings without talking about tithing. So I'll kind of use it as a segue. Uh, 
Are believers required to tithe today? And what does the Bible say about tithing? Uh, so let me just give you a brief overview of my perspective on that. Um, the first time tithing. Tithing means you, have, you give 10% of what you have to God. That's what tithing means. So the first time that occurs in the Bible is with Abraham. It's even before he's named Abraham, when his name's just Abram. And let me read to you a few verses about that. First time in the Bible it shows up. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram had just come back from, from war. He was delivering Lot and some innocent people had been kidnapped from a bunch of nasty people, and he got all the spoils. So he had a bucket load of money. And this guy, King of Salem, priest of God Most High, he gave 10% to him. Abraham tithed, but he was never told he had to. We don't even know who this guy is. He's mentioned one more time in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, and people are still scratching their heads about who he is. And we're probably going to talk about him in a couple weeks. Not sure, but I think so. But anyway, the first time tithing happens in the Bible, it's a free will offering. It's not prescribed. He didn't have to do it. He just wanted to do it. Some tithes then in the Bible are free will, but some tithes were prescribed. Remember, two categories. Some was optional. This one was. Some were not optional. In ancient Israel, God required tithes of the Israelites. Numbers 18, 25 to 29. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Levites and say to them, they were the, the priests and the assistants to the priests. Speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the winepress. In this way, you also will present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and the holiest part of everything given to you. So Israel tithed to God. Specifically, they brought it to the temple and gave it to the priests. From that, the priests got their income. They took the 10% that they got, the best of that 10%, and they made that an offering to God. That's how it worked in those days. Two types of tithes, the free will and the prescribed, and the prescribed tithe was for the temple service. It was tied to the temple. In fact, there's a lot of people who quote, it's probably the most famous tithe verse in the Old Testament. It's quoted all the time in churches all over the place. But it's actually a temple tithe verse, and usually people don't understand that when they quote it. Here's the verse. You saw it up on the screen a moment ago, but it was missing a part. Let me read to you it with the part that was missing. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room. So those people were under a prescribed tithe, and they were not giving it, and so they were under a curse. 
What do you mean they were under a curse? Well, you read some of the contemporary writings from Malachi and Haggai and such, and you find out that even though they had harvests and crops aplenty, they didn't ever have enough. It was almost like they were putting money into pockets with holes in it. And they didn't understand, because that was God's math too. If you're not honoring God when he requires it, in abundance becomes less than enough. It's God math. And so they, they didn't figure it out. Why do we have plenty but not have plenty? And God says you're under a curse because you're not honoring me with your tithe. All right, the temple tithe, the one the ancient Israelites were required for, accomplished at least four things. Let me tell you what those four things are. Number one, the tithe honored God. It was a type of worship. Number two, it demonstrated trust in God. And I'll go through each one of these a little more, but just let me give you the list right now. Number two, it demonstrated trust in God. Number three, it acknowledged that God is the source of all our income. And number four, the tithe supported the temple and the priesthood. So let's look at each one of those with a Bible verse. First of all, the tithe honored God. I already read you the verse, but let me read to you again. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, all your income. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The point I want to make is honor the Lord are the first three words. When we give to God, it's honoring to God. It's showing him respect and it's a type of worship. Secondly, it demonstrated trust in God, which makes sense because you're giving God something that could feed your family. Do you really want to do that? Do you trust God enough to know that he will pay you back or not? Here's what it said. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. So God told the ancient Israelites they could trust him. Their tithe would not make them poor or broke or give them less. It would do just the opposite. It's God math. If they were to honor God, God would pour out the floodgates of heaven on them. Third, it acknowledged that God is the source of all of their income. Proverbs 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I'm thinking about this line from this old show. I loved the show. I watched it several times. It was called Crocodile Dundee. And they were talking about who owns the land, the aborigines, the people who came and displaced them. And his line went something like this. It's like two fleas arguing over who owns the dog. <laughs> well, we live on God's planet. We don't own anything. Everything is God's. Everything is his. We use his dirt to grow our crops. We use his gasoline to drive our cars. We breathe his oxygen. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, um, the scripture says, and this is the Apostle James, he said, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Think of something good in your life right now. It's a gift from God. It's not an accident of fate. It's not because you worked hard and earned it. It's not because you accidentally fell in love with her. God was up there scheming it all out. I'm going to give you the opportunity to have this job. I'm going to arrange everything so that it becomes your job, and I'm going to give you success in that job. 
unlike your neighbor who is unemployed for the last six months, now is your turn to prosper. And not only that, but I'm going to arrange things so you meet this woman. That's God. Everything that's good in your life is an intentional gift from God. So number three, it acknowledged that God is the source of all our income. And number four, the tithe supported the temple and the priesthood. Numbers 18, 23, and 24, here's what it says. It is the Levites who are, to, who are to do the work at the tent of the meeting and bear the responsibility for offenses against it. They're in charge. It's all up to them. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. So the prescribed temple tithe paid the ministers in the temple. That's how they made their money. They didn't have an inheritance. See, when God gave the Jewish people the promised land, he said, okay, this region over here goes to this tribe. This region here goes to this tribe. This region here goes to this tribe. Now, if you got the region on the Sea of Galilee, you could grow crops because the land was great, you had a lot of water there, and you could fish. You could get everything. If you were on the Mediterranean Sea, great. You could fish, etc., etc. Levites, nothing. So how are they supposed to make a living? They serve in the temple. And the tithes come in from the other 11 tribes, and that provides for them. That's how that worked out. Temple tithe, accomplished four things. It honored God. It was a type of worship. It demonstrated trust in God. It acknowledged that God is the source of all their income, and the tithe supported the temple and the priesthood. So, that brings us to today. If that's what the tithe was for, it was for the temple, are we required to tithe today? The temple's gone, the priesthood's gone, and there is no verse in the New Testament that says anything about tithing. And no one commanded Abraham to tithe. So is there a prescribed tithe today? I don't think so. I think there's free will offerings today. However, the four principles of the tithe, if we look at them through today's lens, I think we'll see that the principles are still valid. Number one, giving was a way of honoring God. Does giving to God, is it still a way of worshiping and honoring God? Yes, it is. We don't give just to give. We give out of respect for God. So the first principle of the biblical tithe is still relevant. It still applies today. Second, giving demonstrated trust in God. Just like this woman on her video today. She's sitting there with her husband, knowing that they don't have enough money, and she'd rather put the money into the car. But her husband said, don't you trust God? They hugged each other and decided, yeah, let's just trust God. And then there was that God math. The guy who owned the shop paid for her parts. It was amazing. Third thing, giving acknowledges that God is the source of all our income. James said it again. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Everything we have is a gift from God. And here's the fourth one. Giving supports the church and the pastorate just as it supported the temple and the priests. So you have the option of supporting the church and its leadership or not. And the consequences come with that as well. 
There's a lot of churches, the smaller churches, whose pastors have a second job. And they're divided. They have to, you know, bring home the bacon and yet still minister to the flock. Fortunately, our congregation, in partnership with Bessar Shalom, is able to pay my bill. You see, each of you are carrying half. Otherwise, who knows? Maybe I'd be having a second job. And of course, we got to pay for the various other staff members and the ministries going on here. We don't have a full-time youth pastor yet. Wish we did, but it's just not there yet. And so on and so forth. So it's really up to us. Interesting thing. Um, there's a key verse in the New Testament about free will giving. And this one doesn't tie to the church. This one ties to helping the poor. Again, most people don't take the context into mind when they quote verses. With the Malachi passage, it was a temple tax. With the one they quote in the New Testament, it's a poor passage. Listen. Remember this. Whoever plants a little will harvest a little. And whoever plants generously will harvest generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I think that's where we're at today. Me, personally, I like to model my giving after Abraham. I want a figure that I think is a godly, holy figure to shoot for, and I shoot for the tithe as my bottom line. That's what I do. You do whatever God has put on your heart to do. But there's something here. It says, God loves a cheerful giver. I understand what that means, but I saw it lived out for the first time in my life about a month or so ago. Remember I told you these two ladies came up to me separately, each with roughly the same amount of money, around $30,000? The first lady, after she, I think it was right after she handed me the check, in fact, we were having worship. It was on a Wednesday night. And during worship, she was dancing. I'd never seen her dance before. She had just given away $30,000. This is not a rich woman. This isn't like, oh, $30,000 to her is like Bill Gates giving away $30,000. No. She could have used the money like any rest of you guys can. But it was a tithe from her heart to God. And she gave it for you and for us and for him. And the next thing I know, it, she's dancing. She didn't regret giving the money away. It gave her joy. It thrilled her. She, it thrilled me to see her dancing. And that verse immediately came to my mind. God loves a cheerful giver. I'd never seen that before. I saw it lived out right in front of me. It excited me. I just thought it was cool. Now I get the verse. First time in my life, I get the verse. All right, so we saw four things that, uh, that uh, the tithe accomplished and three principles on free will giving. Remember the three? The amount of generosity is up to the giver. God promises to give to the giver. In fact, as we read before, he'll open the floodgates. And the generosity, the amount given, is a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of how much you actually give. Take out that coin. Now, this is yours. I ordered these so that you could have them as an inspiration and as a reminder. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your checkbook. Glue it to your mirror, wherever it would be an inspiration for you. Every time you write out a check to God, remember this little coin. Let me tell you about this coin. There were two very small denominational coins, and I don't mean Presbyterian and Baptist, <laughs> back in the days of Jesus. This is the most common one. So you dig a hole in Israel and you come up with coins, chances are some of these will be there. This is 
a replica. This is exactly what they looked like. Feels a little different because this is probably made out of a cheaper metal. I think those were bronze or something like that back in the day. Um, but you notice they're not even perfect because they didn't make coins like we make coins today. They took the metal, put it on um, a die, and whacked it with a hammer. And of course, the cheaper coins, they just threw them on, whack, threw them on, whack, threw them on, whack. They'd come off half center. They would, some of these, you can barely see the imagery on them because the value isn't in the imagery. The value's in the metal, the weight of the metal. They had these cheap little brass ones, and then they had silver ones, and they even had gold ones, and they had ones of different size, the weight of the metal. This one, the one that was popular in the days of Jesus, there were two of them. This one, the most common one, was minted under um, the Hashmonean dynasty. You might know of them as the Maccabees. And I think this one says on it, King Alexander, who was one of the Maccabean rulers when these coins were minted. On one side, you see an anchor. That's an anchor. And on the other side, you see like a, st a starburst kind of a thing. On some of these starbursts, there's actually a round circle around it. Some people think it's a wagon wheel, but, but probably not. This coin wasn't worth much. It could buy something, but it, it was the lowest de denomination. I can only equate it to modern-day pennies. Now, it was probably worth more than a modern-day penny, because a modern-day penny won't buy you anything. But really, those coins were used in addition also. It's kind of like, oh, that'll be $13.73. What did that three cents buy? You dig out of your pocket, you give them three cents, but the three cents are meaningless, really. In those days, it was the same. You had a bunch of these, and you just added them on to the end to make the figure right. In fact, today, when I have a penny, if I drop it, I don't even bend over and pick it up. I don't like pennies. They, they just, they're, they're a waste of pocket space in my mind. I don't like them. They get in my way. If I'm walking down and I see a penny on the ground, I just leave it there. Now, maybe you pick it up. Penny saved is a penny earned. Fine, earn a penny. I don't care. Doesn't mean anything to me. With that in mind, now let's read the Luke passage you read this week. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins, which traditionally are called mites. These guys these almost worthless coins. And that's why today's lesson is called the might of the might. Because you're going to find out that even though it's worthless, from a human perspective, with God math, it's mighty. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. From God's perspective, she gave the most. She put in two pennies. So Bill Gates comes along, Rabbi Bill Gates, and he goes into the temple, and he comes in with a basket full of silver and donates it to the temple, and everybody's... Oh, you're so generous. Look, we can run the whole temple on that for three months. You're so wonderful. And he goes, yes, I know. Yes, I am. I'm generous. Reminds me of a story, true story I heard uh, just last week about a famous person donating, I think it was a million dollars, to aid some victims of a hurricane or tornado or something. I don't know. And 
that was wonderful. That was nice. That was generous. But what's a million dollars to that guy? To him, a million dollars to him is like 20 bucks to you. People make a big deal. It's a million dollars. Yeah, but it's really nothing. It wasn't that generous. Somebody who gives 20 bucks and it's their last 20 bucks and they're only 20 bucks, that's a huge gift in God's eyes. Yes, the million dollars will go farther to rebuilding houses, but with God math, he'll take the 20 bucks. He'll take the two pennies. She, she gave in everything she owned. She stood at the temple and said, I'm not going to eat today, and I may not eat for the next few days, but I don't care. I'd rather love and worship God than eat. Wow. That's the power of that woman's faith. Now, we're not told about this story to see how the God math then works. We're just told about generosity and the heart of giving. But I wouldn't be surprised if she turned around, walked five steps, and somebody invited her to a feast, a big feast, with lots of meat and bread and wine and cheese, better than she'd eaten in years. Wouldn't be surprised at all. In fact, I'd expect it. God math. She didn't know if she could afford a loaf of bread. She probably went home and had a huge feast. God math. Modern day story of a widow's mite situation. Let me show you. It happens in a snowstorm. Three marshmallow eating ghosts in a field of snow. It's a good story. I'm going to let Michael or whoever needs to go over there and mess with it, mess with it so you can actually see it. So while they're messing with it, you know that replicate that coin I gave you? It's a, it's a replica. I have one or two of the real ones at home, the authentic ones. They're, they're a couple thousand years old, so they look a little rougher, but it's way cool just knowing I have a coin that they carried around in the first century. And it's fun to just imagine, hey, maybe Peter owned this, or maybe Jesus himself touched this coin. Fat chance, but it's way cool just to, to feel it and see it. And then I bought a book that showed me the different coins of the ancient empire, what they look like. And then I just figure over time, maybe I'll be able to start collecting different coins. But because of my status in life, I'm not a silver coin collector just yet. <laughs> and I'll never be a gold coin collector. But I'm hoping I can go from the copper little half mites that I'm finding and work up my way up to silver sooner or later. And who knows? You never know. Maybe I'll stumble across an ancient gold coin that they used in the temple or something. That would be so cool. When I was at one of the antiquity shops in Israel, they had a whole display of silver and gold coins from the first century. They were cleaned, and some of them were set in, in rings and necklaces, and the rest were just sitting there. And I was like, can I touch it? Yeah, go ahead. That's good. Go ahead. There was a missionary in Hong Kong, and he had a desire to start a Christian camp for young people. And uh, he had an opportunity to buy a resort and conference center that had gone bankrupt. 
He made an offer. It was a multi-million dollar property, and the offer was accepted, but then he had to go raise the money. He traveled around the world and talked to wealthy people to see if they would help him with this particular project. People promised to pray for him, but no one gave him a single dollar. He went back to Hong Kong quite discouraged. But when he got back from Hong Kong, there was a girl that had written him from America. She was just an eight-year-old girl. And in this particular letter she wrote him, she said, Dear Mr. Bechtel, I hear you want to buy a camp for children in Hong Kong, and I'm giving you all the money that I have so you can buy the camp. It was one dollar. Mr. Bechtel did not have any other money outside of the one dollar from this young girl. The day came for the closing, and the corporation called him and said, Do you have all of your money? And the missionary said, well, yes, I do. And he went to the closing, and he took along the girl's letter and the one dollar. And they said, Mr. Bechtel, do you have the money? Do you have payment for the camp? And he handed over to the executives that letter from that little girl and that one dollar. They asked him, Mr. Bechtel, are you serious? And he said, I'm sorry, this is all that I have. They asked him to leave the room, and they began to talk amongst themselves. And when they asked him to come back into the room, they said, Mr. Bechtel, we received this letter and this dollar as payment in full. And they signed over the ownership of that hotel and conference center to Mr. Bechtel. That camp became Sundao Camp in Hong Kong. I believe now over a million people have gone to that camp. And over 100,000 people have received Christ. All because of the generosity of one little girl who gave one dollar. She gave her all to the Lord Jesus and he took it and he used it. I pray that this story would be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Jesus said, give to others and God will give to you. Indeed, you will receive a full measure, a generous helping poured into your hands, all that you can hold. The measure you use for others is the one that God will use for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us about generosity and God math this morning. Help us to be the kind of, kind of people that want to honor you and trust you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.